Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would open our minds to more of your love, your truth, your spirit, and lead us and guide us to be the people you want us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome. Glad, glad that you're here. I don't know if you've ever had, a, along the way, a smart reproof. Um, in the words of Tom Papa, I have. I can think about many different times in my life when that's happened, but one of the ones that came to mind as I was preparing this goes back to high school. When I was a junior in high school, I grew up in a family where I grew up in little airplanes. I was in little airplanes since I was five. And I soloed a plane when I was 16 and got a license when I was 17 and did all this stuff. But when I was a junior in high school, there was a day when it was super windy, super gusty out at our airport, and I really wanted to go fly. So I went out, and, and I should have taken a really big hint when no one else was out there. But I was out there flying, and it was, it was down the runway, and it was, it was gusty, and it was bad. And, um, but it was, it was fine. And so there were two parallel runways at this place, and I've been doing these landings, practicing them. And then about that time as I'm coming back around, I hear a voice I know coming in on the other runway. It's my dad coming in on, in his plane back from a trip. And he had a big plane that could, you know, was all decked out and doing all the stuff. And he landed, and I th I'm landing, and I thought, this is really cool. So we're on the parallel runways landing. And we taxied in together and parked. And I remember he came straight over to me, super terse, and just looked at me and said, poor judgment, poor judgment. <laughs> And for an Enneagram One, that was like, oh, I've never, those words still echo in my head. Many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, we've had some kind of reproof like that. And I want to suggest maybe today that's what Jesus is doing. Like he's putting something out fairly strong, at least in part of this. And so I titled today's sermon, A Helpful Slap in the Face. And if you look at the, uh, there are dictionaries that define these different kinds of phrases that go out there. One of the dictionaries I looked at defined that phrase as if you describe, if you describe something that someone does as a slap in the face, you mean that it shocks or upsets you because it shows that they do not support you or respect you. And um, maybe I stretched it a little bit on that final part, but I do think Jesus is kind of getting in some faces today. Maybe he didn't slap it, but he got in the face. And I want us to think about that today and carry that off into the week to reflect on what Jesus does with this um, episode taking place with this banquet today. And as we look at it, um, I want to start by first just, okay, back up and just look at the context for a second. This is, you know, we're, we've been marching through the Gospel of Luke. We've been in this place where Jesus is really getting radical. Like he is, he's been hanging out with people he's not supposed to hang out with. He's been touching the untouchables. He's been calling the nobodies to come and do this stuff. And, and this kind of goes on. And today is just sort of a continuation in how he is really turning things up. And doing things. And we start to look at this passage. Jesus is going to speak into a fairly complicated social matrix of the day. And what it looks like he's doing, in part at the start, is just giving some practical advice and then going to something that has some bite to it. And again, maybe as far as a little bit of slap in the face kind of a deal. But whatever it is, I think it's something that we, as people who want to be Christ followers and to practice his lead, we got to think about this and reflect on the things that he's doing with, with this thing today. So I want to look at it. And, and the way they did the reading today, we start with um, chapter 14, verse 1. And it reads, it says, On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. 
And there's a whole lot in there, but that's just a context passage that he's going to a Pharisee's house. Jesus wasn't always fighting with the Pharisees. I mean, he did go to dinner with them. He did do things with them. I mean, we can sometimes read the, past, the scriptures and think he's always an enemy with them. But he's going to the house of one of the, uh, one of the leaders of the Pharisees, and it's on a Sabbath. And, that, and, and he's going there, and then we get the skip. That's, chapter, that's verse 1, and then we skip all the way to 7. Well, the verses that we miss are Jesus heals a, a man who has dropsy, and he gets a bunch of grief because he's done it on a Sabbath. And then, you know, uh, Luke is always talking about meals, and so he's going to pick up on this meal that's taking place, this banquet. But before we do that, just a little bit of context there. This, like, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, the social strata was a big deal, and it was there was there were defined layers of it, and it really came out at meals at at sort of these banquets where they had a seating chart because that's when everybody was going to do it, and it's we see it here, it's in the writings of ancient Palestine. We'll see it there. It's written in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You'll see discussion about this. It was a big thing about what they did, and there are two things that Jesus does with this passage today. There are two different stories, two different at least one parable and maybe a second parable, but at least two different stories that he does. The first one of these, when we get into it, is verses 7 to 11, which is going to be addressing, it looks like it's probably he's addressing the guests who've come and have all ended up at the tables, right? So that's that part. And the second part that we get 12 through 14 is where he's talking to the host of the banquet. And I want to talk about both of those um, today really quickly. And the first part of this, when we turn to the first bit where he is probably talking to the guests that night, he, it seems at first that he's really, really just being super practical to them. But I will remind you that as you look at it and you think, okay, this is just really practical advice that Luke tells us, like he notes this in, in verse seven, that this is a parable. And so, you know, as a parable, you're looking for deeper meaning than maybe just what appears on the surface of the thing, because on the surface it really is practical advice. And so there are a number of different ways we can interpret this. And I'm going to give you a few ideas to think about this first passage. On the one hand, it looks like Jesus is just giving this practical advice. When you go to this event, like don't go be seated at way up on the table because it's going to be really shaming and embarrassing when they have to come and say, yeah, we need you to move down a little bit because somebody more higher up on the status structure is going to come sit there. And he's saying, he's saying, no, okay, don't do that. Actually, why don't you go the other way? Go sit intentionally lower so you're going to be built up when people tell you, hey, you're, you're, you need to get up and move the other direction and be in a more formal place that way. And what Jesus is saying in all this, he's, he's really echoing something that's already been put out there in Scripture. If you go back and read in Proverbs um, chapter 25, verses 6 to 7, or largely says the same thing in, the, in a court setting about the same deal, about sit lower and get moved up and all these different, different kinds of things. And that passage ends, this whole part right here ends with Jesus doing this um, expression that's become really well known that all those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled and all those who humble themselves are going to be exalted. That's the punchline summary of that whole first story. And again, so that's what it looks like on its face and, and it's called a parable. Maybe that's what it is. It's certainly good advice. But I wonder if there aren't a couple other thing, ways we might look at it and begin to just continue to unpack it. Maybe one of those, um, the Anglican bishop and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, when he looks at this passage, he says, this whole passage, he thinks, 
his opinion, is really ultimate about how people are jockeying to get into the right place in God's eyes and how they are leaning into stuff saying, look at me, I keep all the law and I get all these things right and I'm doing this and this. And it's a way of worrying about their positions that way and sort of being presumptive and taking these high seats and how they view themselves before God. And at the end of the day, he would say that this parable is ultimately a warning about being arrogant and being prideful. All right, so take that in. Maybe that's what the whole thing is about. Maybe the call for us this week is, is to think about and meditate on in what ways are we arrogant and prideful in, in both our religious positions and, and also in how we live life. There are others who look at this and say, you know, the practical side of this is when you sort of start digging in is maybe Luke, when he's writing this, is emphasizing this story because of the issues he's facing at the day. And when people look at this, they'll sometimes say, think about this for a minute, right? That there are thousands of Christians at the time Luke is writing this who were not Jews who became Christians. And then as happens that the Jews who became Christians have a really hard time accepting this. And you can go back and read the 15th chapter of Acts and all their controversy around these kinds of things that are going on. But maybe that's an issue that Luke is dealing with. And what Luke really wants to emphasize is for, the, for those of you who, who are Jewish Christians, you need to see and get over the fact that, yeah, you may have been at the top of the table before, so to speak, but God has turned that thing upside down. And in God's order and God's plan, he in love and mercy and grace has invited everyone and just get over your rank and your order and where you're trying to position yourself on this. Get over that. Maybe there's a whole group of people in all this who are, who are feeling like they already deserve what they have. And because of that, they don't have a need for God's love, mercy, and grace. And along with that implied is, I'm only, we only want to give this stuff to the people who deserve it. And Luke wants to maybe make clear that's not what this is everything about the christian position i want to suggest maybe the the greatest thing about christianity is that, that it's all built on grace it's not karma it's not your efforts it's all just nothing but receiving this gift and taking it in but owning it and living from that place and with that comes humility because it's not what you do it's what god does and all you do is accept a gift and so it's a, this whole passage to me is a reminder, too, about how at the Greco-Roman world at the time, maybe humility isn't held up as a great virtue, but within Christianity it is. It's held up as one of the marks of what it means to be a follower of Christ, is for us to be humble. And so there may be two things I really pray and hope that you'll talk about at lunch or reflect on this week, and one of those is this place of just basking in God's love and grace and practicing humility because of it. It's just a gift. And we're meant to be humble in how we live. And, they're all, and I think that humility is so powerful. Jesus down washing his feet is so powerful. I worked at a church in London where I, I used to love this. I tried to replicate it here once. And it didn't go great. But um, they, did this, they would do this dinner about three times a year where they, where they were inviting people who were not Christians, people that wanted to come explore, and they had this dinner. And they would always go out of their way to invite these CEOs and VIPs and these people that were famous in London who were members of the church to come wait the tables that night. 
and they would be the ones serving your tea and doing whatever. And there's the guy that was on the front street, front page. This happened to me. The guy that was on the front page of the Wall Street the week before as a guy serving my tea. And there was nothing more powerful to me of saying, this is the way Christ is. This is the way it works. You know, this is a call to humility. And there are all kinds of examples of, of not just practicing that, but what it does for us. And as, again, as you meditate on this this week, I want to leave you with two different examples to think about and to maybe reflect on. One is from, um, some of you might possibly know this name, but I bet not many people do. Like the world's most famous tightrope walk walker is a guy whose name is Nick Walinda, and he holds like 11 records in the, in the Guinness Book of World's Records. He has walked across Niagara Falls on a cable. He's walked across the Grand Canyon on a cable, that one without a harness. Um, he's done all these different kinds of things. He's like a fifth-generation tightrope walker, so and like the, the tradition continues. But he's also, he says, and you, look, you can read about him on Wikipedia, he puts out there that his m most important thing in his life is that he's a Christ follower. But I, he wrote a book uh, about six or seven years ago. And part of that book, he talks about this place of he being the star. He's been seen by billions with a B of people. But he talks about the role of humility. And I'm going to read part of what he writes in this book. He says, he talks about it. One of the exercises he does to practice humility is after any big event he does, he later circles back around to pick up trash, to be in the crowd, sort of nondescript, doing it. And this is what he writes. He says, Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me. So if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way to keep from tripping. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. I do it because if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. And the, the other um, passage I want to give you, or the other quote I want to give you to reflect on today, I, in the last probably five years, I've gotten into watching a bunch of TED Talks. I just like a lot of them. I mean, they're really fun. I did not know until recently that Pope Francis gave a TED Talk. Good for him. But he gave a TED Talk back in 2017, and the theme of their conference that time was talking about you in the future. And so he gave, he gave this talk, and part of what he says is, related to humility and power. I'm going to read what he said. He says, the more powerful you are, the more your actions will have an impact on people. The more responsible you are to act humbly. He might have stolen that one from Spider-Man. If you don't, your power will ruin you and you will ruin the other. There's a saying in Argentina, power is like drinking gin on an empty stomach. You feel dizzy, you get drunk, you lose your balance, and you'll end up hurting yourself and those around you if you don't connect your power with humility and tenderness. Through humility and concrete love, on the other hand, power, the highest, strongest one, becomes a service, a force for good. I think we're called to humility and we're called to figure out ways to practice humility. Well, I want to say just a few words at least about the final two, three verses of what we read. In this part, Jesus gets more pointed. I think he gets more countercultural. He's been talking to the guests. Now he turns and he talks to the hosts of this banquet. And what he's going to say to the host is nothing other than something that turns it upside down in a way that really is clawing at the very social structure of their day. 
the way their social structure worked back then was if somebody's throwing a, a wedding banquet, a big feast, whatever it is, they would invite people who were just a little below them in the, in the social strata because they knew that person would be honored and then they would return that honor to them, invite them to things, do things for them. They would never invite um, people that were so low below them, though, who are lame or beggars or blind or any of that. And Jesus tells this host, hey, next time you're throwing one of these feasts, don't go invite all your friends that can do that. Don't go invite your family that can do all that. Go and invite the, the ones who are lame and poor and blind and beggars. That, invite those folks. And it's very much back to where Jesus, if you remember in Luke's version of the gospel, in Luke 4, he gives what people will call his mission statement, that he's come to proclaim release to the captives, sight to the blind, you know, that he's come for the poor, the imprisoned, all these people that are marginalized, that's who he's come for. And this passage kind of comes back to that place. He's going to overturn the whole reward system and say, stop bucking for rewards here and now, but think about the ultimate reward at the resurrection at the end. That's when you'll be rewarded. In the meantime, go after all these people that society's pushed on the side. Luke does that again and again as one of his themes. And in the next passage, which we didn't read today, but the one that's coming next is the one where he's going to tell this parable about this, the, where the host has invited all these people to this great thing. They don't show up. And then he sends out the servants to just go get people in the street. And he's saying that's who the guest list is going to be, the people that are in that place. This whole passage it has to make us stop and think about how Jesus is about radical inclusion. And how we may be thinking about the reward at the end of times, but he wants us to think about the here and now as well. And inviting people that are, that are maybe on the sides or maybe the people who aren't like us or the people that are, don't have the money you do or the people who don't have the opportunities you've had or, or, or maybe more but are lost in their souls. All these different people, he wants everyone. Bring everyone in in love, mercy, and grace. And I think this passage, um, to me, apart from also getting us to think about humility, this part to me is a, is a call for us to practice grace in life. I think the definition of grace I like is getting better than you deserve. It's getting better than you deserve. And, and what society at this time would have said, these people that Jesus is talking about don't deserve to be at this banquet. And Jesus is saying, okay, society may say they don't deserve to be there, but invite them. And my question for us as we live out our faith today in this time is in what way can we go to people who don't deserve something and give them better than they deserve? Invite them into God's grace, love, and mercy. Maybe we need a little slap on the face to get to think about some things. Um, think about this week about humility and practicing humility, and think about grace and practicing grace. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you, as the song we sang, said that you first loved us. And in that, you call us to be a people of love. You call us to be a people of humility. You call us to be a people who receive and share grace in the world. And by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to do exactly that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.